Welcome to worship, Stonebridge. We want to gather together as a community of faith and as a community of prayer. Three weeks ago, the death of George Floyd caused riots in Minneapolis. And then other murders and other violence after that has caused protests all around the world and in all 50 states. We face again racism and violence and division. And George Floyd's death has also sparked a, a recurrence of our understanding that we need to be united as a nation. Our grief for injustice and for death is layered onto our grief over sickness and isolation because of COVID-19. So we want to take this time to pray, to pray for our country, to pray for healing and for justice and for light to shine in darkness. And I want us to remember that we need Jesus. Jesus reigns in our hearts and in the world and is the light that shines in darkness. So would you pray with me? God, you are our Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, and we come before you with broken hearts, grieving all that is lost, and identifying with brothers and sisters all across the world and across our nation who experience racism and injustice on a daily basis. We join our hearts together to pray for peace, comfort, compassion, kindness, grace, and justice. We pray for the family of George Floyd, for churches in Minneapolis, for churches around the world, and for our church. And we would shine like stars in the universe during this very dark time. We humble ourselves. Search us, O God, and know our hearts. Test us and know our anxious thoughts. See if there is any wicked way in us and lead us in the way of everlasting. We confess our contribution to darkness, division, and violence instead of light, unity, and peace. We confess our silence when we should have spoken, our speaking when we should have listened, our indifference when we should have cared. We surrender our will to you. We sacrifice what is comfortable and easy for what is difficult but good. You reign above us and above it all, over the universe and over every heart. There is no higher name than the name of Jesus. You reign above it all. So we commit to live as kingdom people following as you lead us. Give us your heart for the world. Give us courage to listen, to learn, to love our neighbor. Jesus, help us to see you in the face of the other the powerless, the vulnerable, the needy. Be glorified in all we do. Shine your light on us and through us to the world and grant us peace. In Jesus' name, amen.
Welcome to Stonebridge Online. Feel free to pause the video during these announcements in order to grab all the information you may need. During this time of worshiping virtually, it's important to continue contributing to the ongoing ministry of Stonebridge. Here are the ways in which you can give. You can give online through our website at stonebridgecme.com, click on online giving. You can give through your bank's bill pay option, or you can give by mail. If you'd like business reply offering envelopes sent to you, please contact the church office. If you have a hurt, habit, or hang-up that's keeping you from a joyful and productive life, perhaps Stonebridge Christian Recovery is for you. Meetings are now online every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Send Barbara Waite an email in order to get registered. And lastly, we'd love to know that you're participating in worship. Continue to share your prayers and praises by emailing prayers at stonebridgecme.com or if you're following along in version, please take the time to fill out the e-connection card. You are important to us. Once again, welcome to Worship Online. Hello, Stonebridge. Hey, it's great to be with you today. And it was great to be with you last weekend at our drive-through communion service it was terrific. I hope you had a chance to attend. We had 174 people come through, and we're going to do it again in July. Uh, so keep your eyes open for that announcement, uh, and we'll love to see you there as well. It was so great to be with all of you and with the staff and spent a few days up there uh, in the office and reconnecting. So that was great. And let's get started uh, with today's message on uh, the Gospel of Mark. This is our second week looking at it, and we're going to uh, focus on the Gospel of Mark, but of course we know that there are three other Gospels, Matthew, Luke, and John, and if you're going to study one, it's always helpful to study others that are similar to it. For example, if we were going to study uh, Liberty Dollars, well, it would be good to know how many there are and, and to compare and contrast them. So take a look at this. Uh, there are five Liberty silver dollars. And from left to right along the top, uh, there's the seated Liberty, and then the flowing hair Liberty. And in the middle is the Morgan. And then uh, the bottom left is the draped Liberty and the peace dollar there on the right. Now, I'm most familiar with the Morgan, the one in the center. And if we were going to study the Morgan, it would be good to look at all of them and compare and contrast them. In fact, we'd learn more about the Morgan if we studied all of them. And it's the same way with the Gospel of Mark. We're not going to study silver dollars. But we are going to look at the Gospel of Mark. But in order to learn more about that, it's helpful to look at all four of the Gospels together. Um, so, first of all, there's a um, distinction uh, even between the Gospels themselves. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels because uh, they are so similar. Synoptic means seen together. And when you see those three together, uh, they are very, very similar. And John really stands separate from the first three. And we'll see why in just a little bit. Uh, and so here are some of the things that we can say uh, as we compare Mark to the other Gospels. And the first thing is this. Mark writes the first 
gospel. So uh, Mark wrote between 66 and 70 AD, uh, and Matthew and Luke wrote their gospels about 15 years later. And Mark had been in circulation by the time Matthew and Luke uh, were writing theirs. In fact, it's pretty clear that Matthew and Luke both had copies of the Gospel of Mark. And we'll uh, see why scholars say that in just a minute. But also compared to the other Gospels, second thing we can say is Mark writes in a choppy, action-oriented style. Now, we said that last week, but we want to remind ourselves that choppy, fast, action-oriented. John wants to, uh, or Mark wants to get us right into the action, right into the story, without bogging us down with any dialogue. And what we learned last week is that scholars think that he was writing down the stories, the memories, the memoirs of the Apostle Peter. And so he got the stories, but he didn't get the dialogue. And so we just have this fast, choppy sort of thing. And how choppy is it? Well, in terms of length, Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels. Mark has 16 chapters. John has 21. Luke has 24. And Matthew has 28 chapters, almost twice as much as the Gospel of Mark. And Matthew and Luke use those extra chapters to fill in the choppiness of Mark. I'll give you an example. One of the most familiar stories uh, in the Gospels is the temptation of Jesus. And it's right here in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 1, and so we'll take a look at it. Uh, But before we do, let's remember what it is that we know about the temptation of Jesus. Let me ask you some questions. How many days was Jesus in the wilderness before he was tempted by the devil? It was 40 days. And how many temptations were there? There were three. And what was it that Jesus said every time the devil tempted him? It is written. And then he would quote scripture. So do you remember what the three temptations were? The first one was that he would turn stones into bread. And Jesus said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. And the second temptation was the devil said, I will give you all the kingdoms of the earth if you will bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only will you serve. And the third temptation, cast yourself down from the pinnacle of the temple because your angels will protect you. And do you remember what Jesus said? It is written, uh, you do not tempt the Lord your God. And then the devil left him. And what, is it, what, what happened after the devil left him? Angels came and uh, cared for Jesus. All right. So that, uh, maybe you didn't know all of that, but maybe some of that sounds familiar. And maybe you knew that and more. So of all of that information about the temptation of Jesus, how much of it do we learn from the Gospel of Mark? Well, it's in Mark 1, uh, verses 12 and 13. So let's read it. At once the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and angels attended him. Two things. Of all the things we remember about the temptation of Jesus, only two. 
are in the Gospel of Mark. All the rest are in the Gospels of Matthew and Luke. Let me show you what it looks like when you put them all together. So you're not going to be able to read this, but here's what I want you to see. Matthew uh, is on the left. That's the account of the temptation of Jesus in the book of Matthew. Luke is on the right, and Mark, what we just read, is there in the middle. Look at the difference. Well, what do, what do Matthew and Luke add? The details. How many temptations? Uh, what Jesus said. All those things. The dialogue between the devil and Jesus. All of that comes in Matthew and Luke. They add the dialogue and, and the details. And there's another reason those two are longer as well. And it's the second thing that we learn about the Gospel of Mark. Mark writes only about the public ministry of Jesus. So Mark begins in chapter 1 at the baptism of Jesus, and he goes on to the death and resurrection of Jesus. That's just three years of Jesus's life. He doesn't cover any of the time before that. And I don't think that should be overly surprising to us because it's those first three years that people are really interested in. Uh, and so the first person writing would be writing about the things that people are most interested in learning about. Let me give you a comparison between Jesus and someone else famous that we might be interested in knowing something about. How about Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon? Well, if you were going to read uh, or if you were going to write uh, maybe the first story or biography of, of um, Neil Armstrong, what would you write about? Well, if you wanted to read something about him, what would you be most interested in reading about? It'd be about the eight days of the Apollo 11 mission. That's the one where he stepped on the moon and he said, one small step for man, one giant leap for all mankind. Uh, well, I looked up Neil Armstrong and found a kind of a short uh, article about him. And here's what you find out. Everything about him, the first 19 years of his life, where he was born, who his parents were, all of that, first sentence. That's it. Sentence two says he was a naval aviator. And it tells some of the story about uh, what he did in the Navy before he became uh, an astronaut. All of that leading right up to uh, Apollo 11 mission, less than half of the article. More than half of the article is in the eight days of Neil Armstrong's life during the Apollo 11 mission. Eight days squeezed into 50% of the article. And of course, that's what we would want to know about. So that's what we learn from Mark. 50% of his uh, gospel, verses chapters 1 through 8, uh, cover from his baptism until he began speaking about his death. And the second half, chap uh, chapters 8 through 16, cover from the time he begins to talk about his death until his death and resurrection. So he focuses all of it on just his ministry and most of it on that most important part of his ministry. So Mark writes, like any early writer of somebody important, someone famous, and here's what Mark would do. Mark leaves the rest of Jesus' life for others to tell about. Mark leaves the rest of Jesus' life for others to tell. Matthew and Luke expand the story. For example, everything we know about Jesus' birth and childhood, we learn from Matthew and Luke, the virgin birth. Bethlehem, the shepherds, the wise men, 
the temple at 12 years old, all of that is in Matthew and Luke. Uh, and why? Well, because there's already a, a gospel written about the most important part about his ministry. Why would you write another thing about just that? If you're going to write another gospel, you probably want to tell more information. And so you expand uh, the part about what you're talking about. Uh, and people now having learned about the ministry of Jesus, they'd like to know about his childhood and his parents and all of that. Uh, and we find all of that in Matthew and Luke. Now here's something we want to know, uh, we don't want to miss, about the Gospel of Matthew and Luke in comparison to the Gospel of Mark. Everything, almost everything in Mark is in Matthew and Luke. And I don't mean as in they wrote about the same subjects, the same stories. Of course we would realize they would do that. I mean that 90% of the Gospel of Mark is in the Gospel of Matthew. 65% of Mark is in Luke. Either very similar or identical wording, language. This is why scholars know that Matthew and Luke not only wrote after Mark, but had copies of Mark, because they included Mark in their Gospels. Why would they do that? I think for two reasons. First, plagiarism was not a thing then like it is now, and people didn't have libraries of books. They didn't have books. Most people didn't have a single book. Most people couldn't read. A church full of Christians would feel blessed if they had one portion of one of these Gospels or or a book about Jesus. And so Matthew and Luke include Mark in their Gospels. So if you got one, you got both. I think that's part of it. And the other thing is, is that we said is that Mark wrote down the stories of Peter. Peter was the most important, most respected of all the, of all the apostles. He led the church in Jerusalem. So if you had a story from Peter, you wouldn't want to change it. You wouldn't want to mess it up. You, they just took it and then added to it more detail, more dialogue, more description. So that's a brief comparison of Mark to Matthew and Luke. And if I've done this introduction right, right about now, I hope you're thinking, well, where's John? Did you forget about John? No, we're coming to him right now. So let me finish our statement about the Gospel of Mark, and it will lead us to John. Mark writes the first gospel with a choppy, action-oriented style, including only the public ministry of Jesus, leaving the rest of his life for Matthew and Luke to tell, and the meaning of it all to John. John talks about the meaning. Uh, why would you write a fourth gospel and tell all the same stuff? John writes his so that we would learn what it means that Jesus was the Son of God. Let me just compare for you the first uh, couple sentences of the book of Mark to the first couple sentences of the book of John and see how different they are. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the good news about Jesus the Messiah, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Then he gives a quote from Isaiah, and then he says, And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And off he goes, choppy and fast and action-oriented. But listen to how differently the Gospel of John begins. John 1, 1 through 4. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was 
God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind. Wow! How different. It's all about meaning. And you notice he doesn't go back to the birth of Jesus. He goes back to the birth of humanity. He goes back to Genesis 1.1, the beginning of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So if you ever go to a party and people say, hey, could you give us a comparison of the uh, Gospels? Which clearly that's not going to happen, but that's what happens at the parties I go to. Uh, I got you covered. All right. Here's, here's all you need to know. Mark wrote about the ministry of Jesus. Matthew and Luke added the detail, the dialogue, and the teaching. And John adds the meaning. So there we go. A comparison of the four Gospels. Only a rough summary, and there's more uh, to be talked about about all of them. There's more information in John that isn't found in the other Gospels, but we'll leave that for another study of John at another time. And I just want to wrap up with one quick thing from the book of Mark, chapter 1. We said that a gospel is an announcement. It's good news about something that has changed. And Mark gets right to it in chapter 1. And Jesus actually gives his own announcement. It's this, Mark 1, 14 and 15. After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. The kingdom of God has come near. People, some, it's, it's kind of hard to understand what that means. And we're going to dig into that next week a little bit more. Uh, but for now, just to say, some people think, well, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven must mean heaven. Mm, not so much. Uh, the kingdom of God is near to us now. And a kingdom has a king and the king governs. And so a kingdom would reflect the king's characteristics and uh values, goals. So what would the kingdom of God look like? What would be the characteristics of that kingdom? Well, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control. Uh, obviously, the, the fruits of the Spirit, because that's God's nature. And what would be the things that, the actions that would be taking place? Well, it would be the actions that the king would approve of. And those would be things like reconciliation and connection and uh, getting together with one another and supporting each other and even sacrificing our own needs and wants on behalf of others. The kingdom of God has come near and it changed everything for those who heard the message. You know, sometimes one little change can change everything. One little piece of information can change everything for us. Uh, Andy Stanley is a preacher and a pastor, and he tells the story of his niece, Elena, nine years old. She loves swim meets, and she's on the swim team. And, and when she was nine, she was in her fourth season, and she loved it. She loved her teammates. She loved swimming. She loved her coach. Uh, the only problem was she lost every race. She came in last every single time, and people thought she'd get discouraged, but she didn't. I mean, she was super in in enthusiastic and um, super social, super engaged. Everyone liked her. She liked everyone. And then at the first race of the new season, her mom said to her, I want you to go out and win this race. 
And Elena's eyes got big and she said, it's a race? She thought she was there to meet people because of course, it's called a swim meet, not a swim race. That one little bit of information changed everything for Elena. Of course, she still stayed social. Some things didn't change. She was still swimming. She's still on the team, but now she was competitive. Now she wanted to win and she enjoyed it at a whole new level. It's an aha moment. And the greatest example of the aha moment kind of message is the one that Jesus made himself. The kingdom of God is near. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's sometimes hard, I say, to understand what that means. But we said it would be the love and joy and peace, all those kinds of things. So what wouldn't it be? What wouldn't the kingdom of God be like? Well, that list is in there in the same, uh, the same chapter in Galatians 5 as the fruit of the Spirit. Hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions. That's a description of what the Bible calls the kingdom of the flesh. And of course, human beings and human history have lived in that other kingdom. It's dominated and ruled humanity throughout history. And into that dark kingdom of oppression and racism and domination, Jesus came and said, I have an announcement. You can live a new way, a different way. I have good news. There's a different kingdom available to you now. You no longer need to be empowered by those horrible character traits and activities that drag you and other human beings down. Because God's kingdom is now available, you can step into it at any time and have the power of God available to you. That's the message that so captured Mark that he wanted to write it down for all of us. He said it was the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. That announcement and that kingdom changed his life. It changed the lives of the disciples who went on to change the world. It's like Alina at the swim meet. In one sense, nothing had changed. She's still swimming. She's still on the team. She's still meeting people, but in another way, everything's changed because of that one announcement. So next week, we're going to look at the lives of the first people who heard that message and how it transformed them. But I just want to finish up quickly with a question for you. When was the last time the kingdom of God has drawn near to you? Maybe, maybe in the years past, you felt it. And you felt this different kind of power, these different goals and purpose for your life. And maybe it's been recently because of COVID or the protests or the, um, the need for racial reconciliation and for justice. When we feel those things and we long for peace, and we long for goodness and we long for equality, those are values of the kingdom of God. God has plans for this world, for our country, for our neighbors and our neighborhoods, our homes and our lives. He invites us to participate in his plans, in his kingdom. In some ways, nothing changes. We still have to make a living. We still have the same relatives, the same bosses. But in another way, everything changes. 
our purposes and goals are different and we have different resources, different ways of responding and reacting. We don't have to live the way we've always lived. We can live a new way. The gospel is an announcement that something has changed. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. It's news that transforms lives. Have you been transformed? Amen.
my soul I give you control Consume me from the inside out joining us in online worship. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Go in peace.